0: Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia, the podcast on academic business and branding where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black-academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world.
1: I'm Takia Nur amin academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury.
0: I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us.
1: We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight
0: Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated. Make sure you have something to write on and write with because class is in session. On the syllabus today is Darnice Martin. We are so glad to have you on the podcast, Darnice. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me, Monica.
0: Uh, I have been wanting to have you on the podcast since we started this because I know your story and I know that you are the person I know who've been doing this the longest. And so I'm really excited to share what you do and how you got here with our listeners. So, tell us about your academic training and specialty, your Dr. Darnese Martin. So, tell us about what it is you are a doctor in, what it is it you are officially knowledge about, and how did you get there?
2: Wow, that's a mouthful. How did I get there? Well, I am trained um, in cultural and historical studies of religion. Um, and from that, I decided to focus on African American religion so I can do the culture and the history. Um, while I was in my program about mm, after the uh, comprehensive stage, I decided I don't want to do this anymore. What am I even doing here? Um, But that's where I got refocused. And I started to research the African American New Thought community that I ended up writing about my dissertation and my book um, that resulted uh, from that beyond Christianity, African Americans in a New Thought Church. And it was such
0: a you know, now, wait, I want to make you pause for a second because not everybody knows what New Thought is. So, can you just give us a quick rundown? Because that might not be a familiar term for everybody.
2: Sure, of course. New Thought religions. Um, it is a it is known as a positive thinking uh, religion, American religion. It started in the nineteenth century uh, New England uh, by a man by the name of Phidias. Uh, Quimby, and it got, um, it evolved over a period of time to basically be known as a positive thinking uh, uh, tradition. Uh, today, we see that proliferating in our society as people talk about manifesting and as people talk about uh, the law of attraction, but it is the spirituality that basically undergirds the ideas behind why manifesting works or, you know, so people say, no, it doesn't, but it's because they don't know the spiritual um, grounding of it. So that's the work I did around initially, around this very small American religion called New Thought. And the fact that African-Americans are in this particular uh, religion was even more surprising because it's such a small, small niche. And that's why it became uh, of interest for me to do my dissertation on that and to uh, subsequently publish with NYU Press. It's kind of unheard of in a way. Um, there are a lot of you know practitioners. There are a lot of, of, of ministers but, as far as people who are doing actually scholarly work, um I'm kind of it <laughs> the go-to person. Now
0: you are a second career, too, academic. So can you give us a short rundown of how you even got to do this degree in religion from what you were doing before that?
2: Well, yeah. Um. Yeah. My life, my career has not been a straight line. It's been rather circuitous. So as an undergrad, I majored in uh, fashion uh, at Kent State University. I'm from Ohio. And, you know, when I was in high school, I decided I want to major in fashion. And I was going to be an executive in the fashion industry. Well, I started off in that career and pretty much found out that it was my devil wears Prada nightmare. And it was not what I wanted to do after all. Um, and it took a great deal of personal reflection and feeling like a failure as one does in the early 20s, right? What have I gotten myself into? I'm on the wrong corporate track. And with much introspection and and fear and, and and uncertainty and doubt, really, I was like, what am I supposed to do now? And the little voice came and said, Go go back to school. And I was like, I'm not going back to school. Not only go back to school, but go to seminary. Oh no, no way. But Eventually that small voice won out because I really did realize that my first love was studying, was reading, was writing, and had always been interested in religion and history and um uh, mythologies and you know world cultures. I'd always been interested in those kinds of things. And my mother, of course, knew from the start, right? She told me, you should be a teacher or a lawyer. And of course, I didn't listen to her. I went on to be um, in fashion and then I hated it. And was she right? Yes, my mother was right. So I went back to school, went to get my master's. And then what am I going to do with a master's in theology? Um, Get a PhD in theology. So, (laughs) Considering that I did not want to be a minister, that was never um, in my mind at all. So when I was in my master's program at the Methodist Theological School in Ohio, outside of Columbus, aka Mathesco, for those who know, um, fortunately, I had professors who were guiding me towards a doctoral program, even when I didn't know what that really meant. But um, I was fascinated by what they did for a living. Wow, I can talk about religion for a living. I can. What? (laughs) And you know they they really supported me in applying to uh, programs, and so I applied to Notre Dame and I applied to the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, and um, I decided to go to Berkeley. And then, um, yeah, so I started with one idea in mind. My early early part of my my doctoral work was in historical Jesus because I was doing that historical stuff, right? Historical Jesus. Uh, and then at my comprehensive stage, I was like, oh, like once again, once again, I had the idea. What, whose idea was this? No, I don't want to do this anymore. This is this is all wrong. And one of my professors, thankfully, uh, James Noel, poor libations for him, said, what about that church you go to? Isn't that church African-Americans and New Thought? And I was like, um, yeah, and. And so he really helped me to figure out get my mind, right? that where i was where i was actually positioned in oakland california was the the work and it was um, like a light bulb going off over my head and it was also the thing i mean i was really excited about it once i once i could really say wow this is now the culture oh i get it oh i get it i did the historical part of religion now i'm doing the cultural part oh so i could kind of see the breadcrumbs kind of lining up for me at that point and um, yeah, so that's how I got here. Well, I know we met right around the end of your
0: career, your doctoral program, right? We were both funded by what is now the Forum for Theological Exploration. And as people do, you went and got a job. I went and got a job, at least especially at that time when the market was, you could just go get a job. <laughs> and then I was like, Darnese is out here doing relationship coaching. What is she doing? doing? And who does this? And does that have anything to do with religion? And I thought it was just the most like you're out there being like a matchmaker or something. And I thought that was the most interesting and different thing. And so, you know, I would love for you to
2: tell us about your business.
0: Absolutely. But and I, are you a matchmaker? That's I'm just saying like, that's
2: what yes. I thought. OK, OK, OK. People have known I have known Dr. Monica A. Coleman for a very long time. And so um, not only is she. Yes, yeah, she thought it was fascinating what I was doing, but she also said I have questions about this new thought thing. And um, she asked me some really good questions that I really have answers for. And it caused me to to really think a lot about it and to pay some attention to what she was doing, which was process theology. And that has helped me, actually. So we met, you know, and um, yeah. And so, yes, I was always I, I don't know. I, I don't know why, but I always had this um, entrepreneurial mindset going on. And somehow or another, I had the well, I'll put it this way. People always came to me as the counselor. People always came to me as a counselor, and I got it in my mind in the early, early 2000s when people started doing um, blogs and and email newsletters um, to start writing about I don't know life stuff, and um, I don't know. It really is kind of funny to me. Sometimes I really do think to myself, "What made me think I could do this?" and but I started doing it and I was looking around at the time again, early 2000. So gosh, we still had, do we have AOL? Yeah, we had AOL. <laughs> and I i got a, a, a blog and a mailing list and I started sending out this mailing list to people. And that meant that I had a community who was kind of regularly listening to me. And my thought has always been relationships are spiritual work. So So I knew early on and and it's still true today that, you know, most people are looking for relationships to make them happy in a way that's not really, let's say, fleshed out. or not necessarily mature because we just think somebody else is going to make us happy, but we have to bring ourselves to it. And so um, do I still do coaching around relationships? Not specifically, but because that is such a major component of how we live, of who we are as humans that it's never off the table but the way i do relationship um coaching is helping people understand who they are and where they are at this point in their lives how they got here so that they understand what kind of relationships they are entertaining what they're attracting what they're entertaining what they're allowing and and that's really more it's 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 more important um Then, oh, fix me up with somebody because we've got to work with core values. And if a person doesn't know what their core values are, then they'll be out here looking for just who's ever cute or whoever has money. And then they'll be, you know, crying on my shoulder later.
1: (laughs) That's actually an amazing segue to the question I wanted to ask, which is. What can you tell us about the values that drive your business? You know, one of the things that Monica and I are very serious about is leading with values first and helping people build entrepreneurial endeavors that are in alignment with their deepest values. You know, some entrepreneurs are just excited by the process of selling. They don't necessarily care what they're selling. It could be toilet paper. It could be a mousetrap. It could be a VIP day. What excites them is the transaction. And that's fine. But we're really trying to help people cultivate businesses that are in alignment with their deepest values so that they have something that is sustainable and that grows and shifts and changes as they grow and shift and change. So, what values really drive or animate the work that you do entrepreneurially in the world?
0: Mm.
2: Well, there's a couple things. Like, really, I say clarity, confidence courage, but the value is um each one teach one when you get somewhere reach back and grab somebody else reach back and open the door for somebody else um and I say that because I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking to other women, uh, black women in particular, They're they're telling me a story. They're telling me about something that has them stuck. And I'm like, oh, I know you can just do this one thing right here. And it's really going to open up a door for you. It's really going to transform. And I think I've cultivated that over the years of listening to people and their stories. And so what's important to me is like, oh, you know what? Look, let me save you some time. Let me save you some trouble. Let me point you in the right direction. Please get off that you know, track over there. It's not serving you. Please get off that hamster wheel over there. Please don't do that no more. Like, because I just feel like it's part of my um not responsibility. It's not really the right word, but charism, gift, vocation, to see that somebody else is in a certain place. And if I know, I feel like if I know the answer or an answer, I have to give it to her, right? And so I've certainly given stuff to people who couldn't pay me and, you know, it wasn't even about that. I just was like, look, girl, I look. (laughs) And even if they can't work with it in the moment, if they can put it in the back of their head and it's going to cycle through again, and maybe they're going to call me and they're, they're able to pay me later on. But that wasn't, it was just me seeing them in the moment. And I realized like, There have been so many times in my life when I wish I could say to somebody, I wish somebody had just told me this little piece right here. Because sometimes it's just a little thing. It's just a little hinge moment. And so I feel like I I just, I, I don't know, I feel very strongly that I have to give that. That's the part I can give because I don't have to be so worried about, wow, is this person going to pay me? Because a lot of times, even when I tell somebody, they're not in a position to make a huge change in their life in that moment anyway. People need support, right? And either they can find it in their environment or they will hire me later. But that's later. Like, I'd rather just see you get your feet under you. I'd rather just see you feel good about who you are.
0: Your last response is so rich because it says so much about, you know, who you are and what, you know, what really drives your business. But, you know, you have been in the game, so to say, for a long time. And Takia was just saying, you know, some people um, just sell for the sake of they love the thrill of selling and that you know, when your values led, you have this value that undergirds your business as it evolves over time. And I was like, you know, you're one of the few people we can ask, how has your business evolved over time? Like, are you doing the same thing you were doing in 2003, 2004? (laughs) And if not, was it a one pivot, two, three pivots? Can you tell us a bit about that? Because we don't often get to hear
2: about this. Yeah, I've had it a long time. Um, I remember in the earliest days, I was doing what I thought I had to do, should do. And so there were a few women I was following. um, They weren't necessarily culturally competent, right? It wasn't necessarily a match. Um, And that really made a difference. I mean, when I think back, it would have made a big difference to have some Black women that I could have really connected with. Um, so I would say I went down a rabbit hole or on a hamster wheel of chasing some things that were not really what I wanted. And it took me some time to figure out, like, this isn't quite it. I don't want to just make, um, you know, seven figures. Like that's not even today. The idea oh, we make seven figures. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. That, that doesn't excite me. The idea of it doesn't excite me. So. Over time, like I said, I used to do relationship coaching uh, much more directly. And so I don't now. um, I'm much more focused on um, offering courses, on writing uh, my own work, uh, a lot of fiction stories that I want to tell. I am embedding um, a certain sort of metaphysical kind of spirituality into the fiction stories that I want to tell. And I feel like that's where a lot of my um, sharing, spiritually sharing is where it's going to land in these fiction works of fiction. So at this point, the business is evolving. And I feel like it has to. If it doesn't evolve, uh, it gets stale. And we, we either run into resentment or we give up. And I think we just have to be open to what the evolution brings us, not to be afraid of it. Right. And not to feel like a failure because something has evolved and changed. And, and that's really where I am. I am changing quite a bit right now as we speak. Um, and I've learned or I am learning, hey, this is part of it. And if you really, I call myself a creative entrepreneur, people like to say boss lady, if I'm really the boss lady, then I get to decide what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and when I'm going to do it. Right. And I have to, you know, I supplement with various things as some of us do as creative entrepreneurs with more than one gig, multi it, as they like to say, um, you know, I supplement, but I am the one who gets to decide a lot of things. Now, I don't have to ask for permission and A lot of this has happened from me maturing as a person and as somebody who has done business for a while. It's it's not so much. I'll say this. I have learned there is no one one formula for success. I used to think it was that. If you just find that formula for success, you'll be successful. Well, that thing doesn't really exist. And it took me some time to get it. Oh, it really is different for different people. Oh, it really is different. Oh, you learn it. Oh, you work it out as you go. Oh, you're not a failure if it doesn't work out. You just get up and start again. And that's something about the entrepreneurial spirit that one has to have, I think. You know, you you really have to be able to withstand <laughs> the ups and downs. And, you know, you might fall and scrape your knees, and you got to be able to get yourself back up a lot of times. It really is. Getting yourself back up when you're an entrepreneur. Um, And again, you you can't expect things to just happen, fall in your lap, and just be miraculously, oh, you're six, seven-figure earner. Like that part doesn't really exist. And so those people who are following influencers and they're like, oh, I woke up tomorrow, woke up the next day and I I had, you know, seven figures in my bank account. Mm, Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. And if you did. Mm, I have to wonder, that's that's so unusual that we're probably not doing the same thing and you're not the one I should be comparing myself to. I'm over here chuckling because, you know, the
1: language of being a six-figure earner or a seven-figure earner is so hot. Right now in the world of online businesses, I'm finding entrepreneurs leveraging that language even when it may or may not be relevant to their niche market or even possible. -hmm. For most in their niche market. And you run into a lot of people who also try to sort of sell their lifestyle Mm -hmm. um, to try to get people to enroll in whatever program or product offering, as opposed to here's the knowledge that we're trying to share. You know, we're very keen in the AB3 space around the fact that we're trying to help women monetize the knowledge they want to share with the world, which also allows you to maintain some personhood and some privacy. You know, you're not selling how to be me class <laughs> on the internet, you know, because uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's impossible anyway. You know, there's something about the, the sort of ethics of that that don't really align with the kind of values-led, principled approach that we're trying to take in AB3. It does make me want to ask you, did you choose your business or did your business choose you? You know, mm-hmm. what do you think? Okay. The work that you're doing now, do you... You know, when did you decide to do this or do you think you sort
2: of fell into it? It chose me. I really all of this chose me. (laughs) Sometimes, as I said, I really wonder why am I doing the things that I do? Right. Not to say that they're foreign to me. I mean, you know, it's based upon the interests I have. I've always leaned into these kinds of things, but it's really it, it all chose me. I was I'm the person who people seek out for advice, for counsel, for, you know, they can say, you know, share nearly anything. And they feel that I'm going to keep it confidential. And I've always been somebody who wants to read and write. And, you know, so I have the skill set to go with, go along, but um, I'm trying to remember, Takiyah, I'm trying to think of a time um, and I can't think of a time because it's always chosen me. I mean, I was a very shy kid and shy teenager. But once I got out of undergrad, somehow or another, now we're talking, now I'm going to say by like late 20s, I was somebody's confident already. Oh my gosh, you just made me think of something. I was the confidant to my boss. When I was in New York working in fashion, one of my very first jobs at Liz Claiborne in menswear, he was the vice president of uh, menswear manufacturing, and I really became his confidant. And I was about 24, maybe, and he was probably 40-something, 45 years old. Um, And so when I look back, I was like, why was this man asking me all of these questions about his life. But it's like one of those things that shows up to show you here, go this way. Here, come this way. Here is your vocation. And of course we, I mean many of us avoid it <laughs> and say, no, not me. But um I stepped into it and I said yes and more of it keeps opening up, even to the point sometimes where I'm like, do I have a sign on my forehead? Do I have a light? What is going on? People are just lined up to talk to me.
0: <laughs> All right, so at some point you took this thing that was just happening though, and you inked it.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
0: Tell us about, you know, going from, you know, you realize people are telling you things. And of course the advice you're sharing comes from your principles, right? Cause new thoughts really, it's kind of a philosophy. It's a way of life, right? As well as a spirituality. Um, so how did that become your business?
2: Well, you asked me some really good questions because some of the things I didn't seek out, but because I was on a certain path, I was going to hear different speakers. I was reading certain things. I was watching certain videos or documentaries or whatever it was. I was constantly being introduced to, you know, other ideas. And so when people started talking about business, business structure, um, I'm sure initially I didn't respond at all because I didn't know what that meant for me. What does that even mean? Right. I had the idea that to be a business, you have to be like one of those, a big corporation, right. But eventually I got it in my mind. You have to be responsible, you know, fiscally responsible. You have to have structure. You have to have. And um, I met, the person who's still my accountant today and he started talking mm. to me about that and I, was, and I will share uh openly that I was probably resistant and I had to hear him say the same things over and over about business structure and about um taxes and about corporate structure I just hear that over and over and I think a lot of us really do because we're not used to thinking about that and and especially those of us who grew up you know middle class or barely middle class black people that wasn't something you were talking taught about so I had to hear it a number of times and so the people who are part of my my team or my board of directors so to speak, the ones who really support me and the various things that I do, business coach accountant I feel like they have educated me and I've had to, I've had to you know think outside of my creative comfort zone to think about business. And fortunately, I have good people who have helped me like, this is why you do this. This is what you do. This is why you do this. This is what you do. Even if you don't get it right now today, Dr. Darnese, just do it and then you'll see that it benefits you. Okay. So sometimes, you know, as we think about entrepreneurship, we get bogged down about those things. Um, But Thankfully, there are other people who are in their zone of genius to help us, and we don't have to do it all. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can hire somebody uh, to do it, Uh, maybe get some complimentary advice initially, but at least somebody who helps us understand why these things are important as we build out, because they become very important as you build out. When you get a tax bill, you weren't expecting, (laughs) you're like, oh, I'm not going to jail for taxes. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) You <laughs> think like if I go to jail, it's got to be something big, something good. Exactly, exactly. Somebody else better be going to jail too. <laughs> <laughs> Who also signed these tax forms? What? <laughs> so I, I just I share that to say, like, you know, don't feel on, don't feel like, oh, I should know that before I start. Oh, I should know everything. Oh, I sh- I don't know that part, so I can't do any of it. No, you can get started. You can, you know, just realize there are people out there who are professionals and that's their zone of genius. Please hire people as soon as you can. It'll, it'll free you up to be the entrepreneur you are. That's one of those little pieces of advice. I give people like a little piece of advice. Listen, I know you feel like you can't afford to hire people. I know it, but please believe you are going to mess up some st- some stuff. If you try to do it all yourself, you're going to wear yourself out. You're just going to sap the joy out of what you're even doing. Um, Please get yourself some help.
0: So tell us about how you balance whatever you do in the academy, right? Your academic, your life, you're part of the academy with your business. Would you even use the word balance? Do they share time? You know, are you, is the job your side hustle? Is the, you know, is your business a side hustle or is the academy the side hustle, (laughs) right? Tell
2: us a bit about, you know, how you've, how you've walked that, that path. At this point, the Academy is the side hustle. Um, And I appreciate you asking me that way, because it has been um, that everything else has been the side hustle for so long, because of course I come from a good middle, um, middle middle-class family where you have to have a good job and you know what, you have to have your primary thing and then everything else is a side hustle. And I really, that's been my uh MO for years and decades. Um and I'm just now at this place where I'm saying, you know what, finally the academy is going to be the side hustle. I'm rearranging my my plate, um, rearranging the plates I have spinning at any one time so that I can prioritize my life as a creative entrepreneur. That's more important to me at this point. Um and I've taught long enough in the academy where I, I'm not I'm not um, climbing that ladder. I'm not, there, there's nothing there that the academy particularly, that I want particularly <laughs> anymore. So it's kind of easier for me to 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 release that, like, oh, I've done it. And the good part about teaching in the academy is when you're able to reach students and, and have relationships with students and see the light bulb go on and, and inspire their curiosity. And so I still get to have that, um, even as I shift um, and, be, and work as an adjunct, I still get to have some of that. But, and so, I don't know if we call it balance. I will just say, um, in answer to the question, can we have it all? I will say we cannot have it all at the same time. It is a juggling act. And so, those of us who teach in the academy know that for that school year, it has its demands. And it it just is a taskmaster, <laughs> um, and so uh, it gets the majority of the time a lot of times. But I am I am uh, determined to shift that and make it work for me more than it works for the academy.
0: In all fairness, we're recording in December. So most faculty are in grading jail right now. So it probably wasn't totally fair to ask that
2: because none of us like this part. Right. Right. And yelling at the, you know, as I, I don't know who am I talking to. I'm just, I'm just grading papers and yelling, I guess, or, you know, having a glass of wine while I grade these papers and say, how many times did I tell you this? Or people writing things. And I'm like, did you even read my book? Did you even read this? Right. And they're not, they may never read my comments because it's the final exam. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just part of it, right? We, we end up in grading hell, grading jail. I call it the begging season when students come out of the woodwork and they're like, but can I have, but can I have, but can I have? Uh, and then again, you know, that's just part of it in exchange for the fact that we get to show up and Talk about the things that interest us. I mean, a lot of times I say, well, if I think about not what I have to do, but what I get to do, even if it's not the way I want it exactly, but the fact that I get to do the things in life that interest me, I actually get to talk about religion and spirituality and write about it. And, you know, like it's a little weird, really, (laughs) compared to people who just work a job. They just want to, they've got to provide, they've got to have a roof over their head and feed their kids. And they don't really feel like they have much choice. They just do it tasks, right? I'm like, well, actually, well, actually I am, I am grateful that I get to do it this way. And it's up to me now what the components look like. We just
1: want to thank you so much for making the time to be with us. You've been such a pleasure to chat with. And it's so nice to know that we have you as a friend of the pod. Tell us where people can find you. Where can they connect with you on the interwebs, on the internet streets so that they can get more Dr. Darnese in their lives?
2: Uh, Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Um, My website is drdarnese.com, which is where you can find me in terms of like, my vibe for coaching and, you know, who I kind of speak to. I'm on the socials at Dr. Darnese, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, I'm not really on Twitter or whatever they call it, Um, nor even TikTok. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, drdarnese.com. I have an upcoming Black Women's Success Summit uh, coming up in February. So if you... Would love to be a part of something, uh, an online virtual event that supports and empowers, uplifts, sees, hears, relishes in Black womanhood. Please come and join me. Um, that website is Success Summit.com or just go to drdarnese.com. And it will all be in the show notes. So people can also
0: go there and just click uh, you, YouTube, girl. Oh, do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And then there's YouTube. Why do I think I could also do YouTube channels? Because see, you know, the inspiration comes and I'm like, oh, yes, make videos. And I have two YouTube channels. So I at mean, Dr. Darnese on YouTube as well. Um, Dr. Darnese's House of Religion, Magic and History, where once again, I get to talk about religion, history, spirituality. Love having you
0: on the pod and we will catch you on the rebound and people just click those links in the show notes and you can find your way to Dr. Darnese.
2: Bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you
1: for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's
0: entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to blackademicbraintrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Blackademic entrepreneur.
1: Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at
0: blackacademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win.